All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Junior Resource Investor. This is the podcast that's dedicated to deepening your understanding of the junior resource sector and some important and exciting plays within it. I am your host, Matthew. Uh, just a disclaimer, right? This is not financial advice. Neither myself nor my guests are financial advisors. And this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. For full disclaimer, please check the YouTube notes below. Also a reminder that there is a companion analyst report that I put out for all my interviews. A uh, link to that document can be found in the YouTube description for this video. Today, though, I am pleased to present our latest guest, Abraham Drost, CEO of Clean Air Metals. Clean Air is a platinum group metal explorer and developer operating in the Thunder Bay region of Ontario and Canada. It trades on the TSXV under the ticker AIR, A-I-R, and on the OTCQB in the States under the ticker CLRMF. A reminder that, uh, so anyway, um, nice to see you again, Abraham. Thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Oh, doing very well, Matthew. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, you know, thank you very much. I guess I, you know, this is where we kind of started prior to recording, but you folks will be better start here, right? Some exciting news coming out today. You had some infill assays come back that looked very promising. Do you want to just kind of touch on those briefly? Yeah, the uh, the Thunder Bay North Critical Metals or Minerals Project has two deposits in it, both of which are expected uh, according to the results of a, a PEA filed in January both of which uh, are expected to uh, supply feed to a single mill. Uh, the two deposits are the escape deposit purchased from Rio Tinto, and the uh, second is the current deposit purchased from Panoramic Resources of Australia. We now have a full mine plan developed uh, on uh, both assets uh, feeding a, a single surface milling complex. These are underground uh, ramp access type uh, operations. But to your question about the press release this morning, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we uh, published some additional results from the escape deposit, drilling results, and also uh, some metallurgical bulk sampling results uh, from current in preparation for our pre-feasibility level uh, metallurgical optimization that's taking place. The results are, uh, you know, again, they're, they're what I would describe as normal course, but, uh, you know, they're peer leading grade, they're high grade uh, results, and uh, and certainly we think uh, the Thunder Bay North project has a, a bright future on that basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, peer leading grade is a good way to put it. I'm going from memory here, but it was two grams platinum, two and a half grams palladium, 0.8% copper, uh, over 19 meters or something. So no, it's a that's not a bad little assay for sure. Yeah, and that's very consistent. I mean, uh, you know, your viewers can go back through our news flow at cleanermetals.ca. And, uh, and just look at the, the headline drill results from inception. Uh, this project has held up extremely well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, let's, let's kind of get back to on track to my formal questionnaire here. I, I always try to start off with a brief discussion about just macro events, right? I mean, geopolitics today seems to be casting a little bit of buoyancy into the precious metal sector with Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. Uh, the market 20 minutes from close here all my junior explorers are having a healthy day. Uh, I guess personally, even, you know, notwithstanding this little bounce we're getting, I'm still nervous that maybe things are still frothy and there might be some air to come out of the balloon a bit yet. What are your thoughts, I guess, on where we are on the macro level? Well, if we're talking macro potential for conflict, additional conflict, I think uh, we're in very, we live in very dangerous times. 
Uh, if we're talking macro in terms of the, uh, the implications for the precious metal suite, uh, I, think, uh, I think that bodes well. I think we are in times of uncertainty. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, U.S. dollars had a pretty good run here and uh, looks like it might want to correct uh, to the downside, uh, which I think will be good for the uh, pricing in the precious metal suite. And when we say precious metals, of course, uh, we're probably fundamentally talking about gold as a safe haven. But let's face it, uh, palladium has been higher than the price of gold for some three years running now. And it's hard to, you know, globalization seems to be fraying a bit, right? Nationalization of resources and, and that kind of that, that nationalization of, of, of critical minerals and critical metal, metals, which is a big part of the bull thesis for me for, for clean air, right? So, Absolutely. Um, you know, and uh, <clears throat> it is interesting to note, for example, with all the sanctions that have been imposed on Russia, given the situation with Ukraine, uh, that does not include um, the Norilsk uh, deposits uh, run by Nornickel uh, because they are just too important mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the uh, the world's economy, that is specifically the automotive sector. We, uh, we in the West cannot build automobiles or cars without gasoline, fossil fuel burning cars without a steady source of palladium. And so the palladium supplies have not been cut off. And uh, so from that perspective, um, you know, it's it's a little bit business as usual uh, in the sector. It's the the extent to which any kind of recessionary forces will be imposed, which makes that uh, a little bit of a tough bet. Or uh, increasing sanctions. Could we actually cut off our nose to spite our faces here in the West? Theoretically, we could. We've already done it uh, significantly, and the, the folks in Germany are going to be feeling that this winter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, was it Belgium or the Netherlands? I hear that they're recommending wood uh, for for burning wood to ah. keep yourself warm in the winter. So, yeah, pre-industrialization. Anyway, why don't we just circle back here? If you don't mind, you know, why don't you try to give my audience a, a 30 second elevator pitch on clean air, on air? Why is it compelling? Why should investors care? Just want a kind of little introduction for us? Sure. Well, I mean, I guess I'll speak from my own perspective. Uh, you know, I'm 35 years uh, geoscientist. I've worked uh, pretty well my entire career in the gold side of the business. Uh, and I was uh, offered the opportunity to come aboard uh, with this, uh, this opportunity that we now call clean air metals uh, around the consolidation of these two very promising platinum, palladium, copper, nickel assets uh, here in Northwest Ontario near Thunder Bay. We call it the Thunder Bay North Project. Uh, from my perspective, uh, proximity, uh, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, geo, geo, um, geo uh, you know, in terms of uh, political stability and, uh, and also uh, mining friendly jurisdiction uh, in, my, in my backyard. I live in Thunder Bay. I made it, made it kind of a, a bulletproof uh, kind of concept uh, for my involvement personally. Uh, but when we talk about, um, you know, peer leading grades, uh, proximity to infrastructure, 30 kilometers from the city of Thunder Bay, which is a, a mining and forestry town, and also lowest capital intensity in the peer group. So highest grade, lowest capital intensity, closest to infrastructure. Those are all the boxes that one ticks in terms of future cash flows from mineral production. And so, look, uh, we're very bullish on this. Uh, we, uh, we are kind of the leading uh, junior in the area, and uh, we have an asset that uh, at this point is a show me story. We get it. We were two years old, and uh, and I think the market's asking, 
well, you know, what? how are you going to succeed where Rio Tinto and Panoramic sold off? I, I think those are fair questions. Uh, but I do believe that this project uh, will be validated uh, with a response from potential third parties that are, you know, have their eyeballs on the project. Uh, also believe that when we're in mineable reserves next year, at the conclusion of the pre-feasibility study, that, um, that in fact, uh, you know, the market will recognize uh, the underlying value here. We traded about 0.1 times NAV, so that's, uh, that is below where, uh, you know, uh, companies that uh, normally that are fully validated would trade. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. No, you're right. I mean, and this is again, what draws me, same reasons you just expressed that draws me to this play. You tick all the boxes, right? Uh, infrastructure, uh, jurisdiction, management team, right? So, and, and this is the thing is that you, you've assembled, you know, yourself included a, a pretty strong team, right? And I guess one of the old cliches that I go back to has always been on the jockey, right? And so, when I see kind of the the resumes that that you folks have, uh, I think that again that's a, that's an absolute bolster to the to the, the the narrative or the story that is clean air. Do you mind just running through your background a bit? I guess maybe in terms of maybe mines opened or kind of you know run through to mines run through to production or and then also for your team as well. Look, uh, yeah, look, I think one of the biggest validators uh, for, for, for us personally or within the, within the team was the addition of Mike Garbett recently as chief operating officer. Mike is a mind builder of some repute. Uh, and he looked, he looked at the project before he joined and, uh, you know, it passed his sniff test. And uh, so Mike, you know, engineers want to build stuff. And, uh, and Mike feels this is a deposit that can be built. You know, subject to uh, you know going through the whole pre-fees and feasibility study uh, routine, uh, which he's been through many times before. But he also welcomed the opportunity to work with our executive chairman Jim Gallagher. Jim was formerly CEO at, at uh, North American Palladium before the sale to uh, Implats of South Africa in December of 2019 for a billion dollars. Uh, it had a single asset, the Lactizil mine, which is in full production today. Uh, 14,000 tons per day processor, 60 kilometers from the Thunder Bay North project. These two individuals are world-class mining engineers. Uh, it, Jim, for example, was a global director of mining for Hatch Engineers before he joined North American Palladium and then uh, joined Clean Air Metals shortly after uh, the very successful uh, pass to uh, Implats. So from our perspective, uh, we have a team that can build build out uh, a mine at Thunder Bay North. And uh, and we also have a, a technical team led by Dr. Jeff Heggie that is capable of finding more ore. Um, Jeff was actually with the project during the days of magma metals that was subsequently taken out by Panoramic Resources, uh, who we ultimately uh, effectively took out. And, uh, and Jeff came back into the program through, uh, you know, Clean Air Metals is now our VP of exploration. So it is, it is ultimately, um, you know, about the jockeys, uh, the ability to move a project forward, but it's also very much about the asset itself. And I'll just, again, I'll harken back to our news flow where, you know, we have systematically over two years taken uh, a couple of, well, a, a raw prospect in the escape deposit and a fairly well-established but troubled uh, asset uh, in current and put them together to form a new mine plan. Now, when I say troubled, what do I mean? Uh, Panoramic's approach was open pit uh, on the high-grade portions in the upper half of the current deposit. 
Unfortunately, there was a lake in the way, and they would have had to drain the lake to put in the pit. Nine to one strip ratio. Uh, being good Aussies, I suppose they uh, they thought, well, you know, we, it's got to be a pit, and then underground out of the pit for the rest of it. Uh, at the end of the day, it was weekly economic at five hundred dollar palladium and fifteen hundred dollar platinum. Uh, but the point was, it was not permittable, and so it ended up on the shelf. And we took it over, and we've made it. We've turned it effectively into a, a ramp access underground deposit, along with uh, the now very well defined escape deposit uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always find that interesting. Just you know, back to the drawing board and restart from square one, and, and rebuild and see what is you know the most economic kind of permutation and combination of of pieces to make this work, right? Yeah. So you I mean just to sum up, you've got a, a geo Jeff who Jeff Hagee who knows your land package intimately well. You have uh, Mike Garbett. You've got a, a mine builder who knows how to build mines and is on here because he believes this could be a mine and knows how to, how to do it. And you've got Jim Gallagher, who's quite literally done, you know, this is, I guess, just to take a step back. I always look for pathways to profitability as an investor, right? I mean, how do I make money off of this, right? And uh, having someone like Jim, who is your executive chair, who, you know, he, he did this, right? Just a few years ago, he did this all just a matter of, you know, a couple dozen kilometers away. He went through this whole process. And like you say, came out with it at the other end with a buyout of a billion dollars, right? So mm-hmm. this is not some sort of, you know, pie in the sky sort of wishful thinking fancy. Yeah, this is a, like you say, very real. You're still in the show me mode, but a very real, real and realistic opportunity for wealth creation, right? So. Yeah, that's right. No, Awesome. Uh, why don't you just help me out here? Can you just burn through? And I have these figures if you don't have them up, but you know, just corporate structure, um, you know, cash on hand, institutional support. Can you just kind of run through that end of things? Yeah. Look, uh, from a capital uh, balance sheet perspective, uh, we have two hundred twenty-two point nine million shares outstanding. Uh, we have uh, about four million cash, and um, you know, we are drilling. Uh, from our perspective, uh, you know, we management owns and controls about 5% of the company. Benton Resources, about 11% of the company. Uh, I want to give a little shout out to Benton. They were the ones who actually put the original deal together with Rio Tinto and Panoramic Resources. And they actually secured uh, the sale of the escape deposit with a $3 million, $3 million cash down payment from their own treasury, which got translated into clean air metal stock. And that's how they became a, a significant uh, insider shareholder. Uh, but 40% held uh, by institutions. Some good names there, uh, some solid support from uh, Royal Bank Investment Management in their Precious Metals Fund, uh, Franklin Templeton out of San Diego in their Precious Metals Fund, and also uh, Sprott Asset Management uh, in Toronto. So uh, they've been there from the, from the beginning. They've, they've actually participated even in our most recent financing in February of 2022, where we raised $12.5 million. Uh, as part of the 43 million that we've raised on the project uh, since inception. Excellent. And do you have any outstanding debt at the moment? No, there's zero debt uh, on the project. And, uh, you know, from our perspective, it's, uh, you know, we financing going forward, we'd like to look at minimally dilutive opportunities. And we believe those do exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And just one more here. Any, Any royalties attached to any of your land? Yes, uh, 3% NSR to the original prospectors uh, who uh, really were looking for diamonds in the early going. Uh, They control most of the payable portion of the current deposit. 
that's quite a valuable royalty. We do have the right to buy that down from 3% to 2% for a $1 million Canadian down payment, or at least cash payment at any time. We could pay it today. We could pay it uh, after feasibility. Uh, we can make that payment. Uh, and it, then it becomes 2%. We also have a, a right, a ROFR, a right of first refusal on any commercial offer on that remaining 2%. In other words, we could match it and buy it out and retire that royalty. So that is a, that is an, a, a right that we do enjoy. Uh, then Rio Tinto has a 1% on the escape uh, claims, quite a small group of 15 claim units that contains the bulk of value on what is now the escape deposit. And, uh, and they have a 1% Benton has a half percent. Benton, ha in addition, has a half percent on all claims in the rather large claim group that do not have existing royalty coverage. So there's a, a half percent out there as well. Okay. Nope. Thank you very much. Uh, so just circling back to share structure here, 220 and change commons outstanding at the moment. Uh, you have about 61 or 62 million warrants, strike price of for 55 million of them, 25 cents. Uh, and then for about six and a half million, about 55 cents. Are you, when you do your financings, is it a full warrant finance? What's your, I guess, what's your strategy? I'm always curious here. Do you, do you go for lower extra, sorry, lower share price with a warrant as the sweetener or how do you, what's your strategy with that? Well, my strategy is basically take take the terms that are offered. You know, at the end of the day, uh, look, uh, you know, um, these are the terms that were like, for example, uh, in February, we were offered, uh, you know, effectively a unit offering uh, at 20 cents with a, a full warrant at 25 cents. That's ugly. But, you know, we had no choice. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, it, it's, it was a little bit of a... Uh, you know, it, you know, they've been extraordinarily tough markets, as we know, over the last uh, several months. Maybe maybe things are starting to lighten up now. But, you know, we were uh, three months ago, we were sort of uh, 70 million market cap going to 100. And all of a sudden we found our found ourselves cut in half. You know, anything with a bid got sold off. So, I mean, the markets will ebb and flow. At the end of the day, uh, we are price takers um, and. Uh, you know, uh, at the equity level, certainly, um, you know, one of the things we can do with a project of this magnitude uh, is entertain sort of an earn-in joint venture, uh, zero dilution uh, on a on an earn-in and joint venture basis from a, a larger entity. That is the kind of thing um, that we are, you know, sort of actively shopping around as well. Well, let's put it this way. We're informally shopping around. We've had some expressions of interest. It's not a process by any stretch. But we do see uh, that as a way to keep the pressure off the equity. Excellent. Yep. And so I'll give you an opportunity here. Last time we chatted on the phone, I asked you about insider ownership. You know, you know, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people look at is, you know, it's always mm -hmm. nice when the owners have skin in the game, right? And 5%. Yep. But, you know, the, the explanation you provided for me was, I thought, quite compelling. Do you just kind of want to run through why that is 5%? Well, sure. I mean, well, obviously, Jim and I uh, and Mike were recruited into the deal and uh, different board members. We all started from scratch. Mm -hmm. There was no founder stock available. Uh, what I mean is there was no kind of penny stocks uh, floating around uh, to incentivize, uh, you know, incoming uh, management and directors. Uh, we we bought every share we own at between, in my case, uh, between 17 and 51 cents uh, over the last two years. 
my most recent uh, acquisition was a, a block of a million shares, fully reported to CDI uh, at 17 cents. So, you know, averaging down, as it were. My uh, Prior to that, my average uh, spend was 35 cents a share. And, you know, that's come down a notch here, uh, probably into the high 20s. And, uh, you know, I'm comfortable with that. The value's there. It, it, you know, I, I truly believe in my, in my experience in the junior mining sector, and I've had a couple of M&As um, over time, that uh, true value does ultimately, you know, come to the surface. And, 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 it, and that's where the jockeys become important, orchestrating, orchestrating that series of events that leads to a re-rating of a stock. And I think that we're on the verge of that here with Clean Air Metals. Uh, but Jim Gallagher, same, uh, you know, he and I own about the same number of shares. We bought every single share we own. There was no uh, gifting of founder shares here at all. Um, the underlying shell, uh, which uh, Clean Air, the deal was vended into and be, ultimately became Clean Air Metals, uh, was halted. Uh, it was a shell called Regency Gold. It dated back to 1985. It was at the time a clean shell with a million and a half dollars, 25 million shares. Uh, we took over the board in February of 2020. They all resigned. And Jim Gallagher, myself, and Dean Chambers, who's still a member of the board of directors, recently reelected. Um, uh, you know, we took over the board and uh, brought uh, the company back to trade in May, uh, on May the 22nd of 2020. So that was the start of it. And uh, the shell's gone. The shell has sold off. I mean, they, there probably was a ton of founder stock in that shell. That's all gone now. Uh, there had there was considerable selling pressure in 2021. Uh, what we're seeing now, I think, uh, ultimately is, uh, you know, we'll see a, a series of uh, steadily increasing lows as we go through the market cycle here. And if we get a valid the validation moment uh, that uh, we're hoping for. Um, a true validation moment where the market all of a sudden says, oh, so this is real, mm. uh, then, uh, you know, we, we do expect the stock to re-rate. And quite frankly, we should we feel we should be trading uh, based on comparables at a minimum 0.3 times NAV, mm -hmm. which would put us into the 100 million market cap range. Quite cleanly. I mean, I think it's an old, you know, it comes to mind that old Warren Buffett adage about in the short term, market's a voting machine, in the long term, it's a weighing machine, right? And I think that, I mean, that the junior resource sector in general, and of course, clean air. I mean, there's so many uh, plays here that I think are just undervalued to the point of, of this being a very, very strong opportunity. Right. Um, and I guess I will say, you know, I, like I said, I was on CDI just doing napkin math, so nothing precise, but you know, you, you and, uh, and Jim have spent over $1.3 million of your own money in the last year and a half or two years. So, you know, there's lots of reasons to sell as they say, but only one reason to buy for insiders. So yeah, you know, for, for my institutional, sorry, for my retail listeners who maybe see 5% and aren't sure about that. Well, you know, on the flip side of that, there's been a lot of personal capital put into this, right? So um, That's why, right. Mm -hmm. why, why don't we just skip around here? Uh, tell me about location, right? It's kind of like, it's kind of like real estate, right? Good mine. It's location, location, location. Your name, tell me about neighbors, tell me about infrastructure and why is this such a huge boon for you guys? Well, uh, you know, as I said, 30 kilometers from the city of Thunder Bay, which is a uh, an active mining town, supplies and services, six operating mines in northwestern Ontario today, uh, day in, day out. Uh, the multipliers uh, from every one of those mines is four to one in the in the economy, in the broader economy, from each direct employee, four to four to one. 
in, you know, in terms of uh, additional employment uh, in the region. Very mining friendly, uh, and quite frankly, uh, I think your your viewers will note that I, I took great care to call this the Thunder Bay North Critical Minerals Project. That ties into the uh, provincial critical mineral strategy, the federal critical mineral strategy, which we do believe uh, will positively affect uh, post-tax, our post-tax numbers to the upside. We believe that if the governments are serious about actually uh, committing to a, a supply chain in Ontario to feed those new battery metal plants in Windsor, Ontario and Kingston, Ontario, if they really do want that source of domestic supply, then they'll have to get uh, a little bit creative uh, with their tax policy. Uh, and the, but, the, but the best part is Thunder Bay North doesn't need any change from the current tax regime uh, to be successful. We have a strong, uh, you know, a strong, effectively uh, mine plan and uh, and uh, capital, you know, capital summary uh, related to, you know, underground production from two mines feeding a single mill. Uh, there's loads of potential upside here. We have that 14,000 ton a day processor up the road. Um, you know, will they need feed? You know, this is 10 years plus of new feed in the Thunder Bay uh, mining camp, the Lake Superior Basin. Uh, there are two active uh, mills uh, operating. Um, you know, so look, there's there's all kinds of optionality here. But the beauty of it is uh, we believe we can build it ourselves. And we believe with uh, management uh, of this pedigree that uh, we can get it financed uh, as well, potentially with the uh, the help of a senior partner to reduce risk. But, you know, back to your question uh, about, um, you know, what about this area? As I said, look, proximity to infrastructure, peer leading grade and lowest capital intensity in the peer group. Uh, when you talk about location, 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 I normally associate that with real estate, like, you know, buying a house. Uh, and, and value on real estate is, is tied to location. I, I sat down with uh, the former CEO of Gold Corp, Paul Williams, back in the day, and, uh, and he was emphatic and, ba and banging the table uh, on infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. He said, it's all about infrastructure. And in fact, he said, you know how it's location with real estate? It's infrastructure with mining. He's a mining engineer. And he should know. So uh, we have a paved provincial highway crossing our mining claims. We have a, a 235 kV high voltage power line crossing our mining claims. We're sandwiched in infrastructure, mm -hmm. 30 kilometers from a, a skilled labor force. We probably don't even have to build a camp here. Uh, it'll be a commute. And so lots to love. But, the, you know, probably the best thing uh, of all these things I've mentioned is our relationship with the First Nations. Uh, the uh, Fort William First Nation, the Red Rock Indian Band, and the uh, the band known as BZA or Binjitawabek Zaging Anishinaabek, uh, the former Rocky Bay First Nation. We're also talking with our Métis, uh, the Métis Nations. Uh, there's two: the Métis Nation of Ontario and the Red and the Red Sky uh, Métis Independent Nation. Um, but these are these you know uh, partnerships with Indigenous partners is absolutely critical to resource development in Canada today. Um, and in effect, it's been said this way, the government of Canada wants to, and Ontario wants to undo, you know, several hundred years of colonialism uh, through uh, inclusion in the resource development pro process, number one. But, well, actually, that's number two. Number one is 
Section 35 of the Constitution says that uh, indigenous people shall have the right to, um, you know, to uh, their traditional and uh, traditional territories and treaty rights outside reserve areas. And it's the extent to which resource development projects could impinge on those rights is the extent to which we must uh, meaningfully consult and accommodate, uh, i.e. compensate. And so we've reached two agreements with our first, with our indigenous partners and the three nations that I spoke of, uh, Fort William, Red Rock and BZA, they are uber supportive here. They want this project to go ahead. Uh, and it is entirely consistent with their own investment strategy. These are investors in green energy solutions like run of river hydroelectric, solar and wind. Put all that together and this is this, you know, there you know, this is going to this is going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you. In my, in my humble opinion, subject to feasibility. <laughs> yes, no, and I mean I think that you know the, the ESG thing or whatever you want to call it, I mean, you know, I think that you know at the sometimes we risk buzzwords losing meaning, right? But ultimately and I'm I believe in this that local stakeholders you know, deserve a say or a, a seat at the table, right? And so, I mean, this is something that I, in my own research with you folks, you've done a, you know, a very clear and sincere effort of, of, of incorporating and, and making sure that local Indigenous nations have that voice. And so, yeah, I mean, because for better or for worse, they have the power to, you know, disrupt uh, any project, right? So why yes. fight it? Why fight it when you can just work with it, right? Well, look, I mean, traditionally, junior miners would run and gun. They come in and you know drill a few holes and get out before the before the communities knew they were there, so to speak. Right? That's first of all, that's not sustainable. And and you know um, certainly when one has a real project, one better be very proactive on the uh, indigenous file, shall we say? Right? Um, and and I'm very proud to say that uh, you know our three three nation partners, and they're together in one agreement with us. Okay, so that's. That's huge. And uh, so that in other words, they've been able to sort out their differences, come together for the good of this project. And they're calling it our project. This is their project. You know, that's the beauty of it. And I said right from the outset, look, I, nothing would please me more than to see you and your joint venture partners running the whole outfit. That, that would be fantastic. And they're, they're liking the sound of that. Yeah. Excellent. No, excellent. Just one thing I feel this so I don't have any hanging chads here. Uh, just for, for people that don't know, it's uh, Impala Platinum, correct? That's the name of the company that's next door to you guys? Yes. Yeah, they are. Are they the world's largest or what's one of the world's largest platinum producers? With their operations in South Africa, where they're based, um, yeah, they are one of the largest uh, platinum and palladium producers in the world. Um, and certainly uh, one of two South African entities controlling the major pl palladium uh, sources of production in North America, the one being Lactazil, the other being Stillwater with Savannah Stillwater. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so the South Africans have been here for years. They've seen the potential. And, and what are they doing but mitigating their uh, risk factors uh, back home? Mm -hmm. Yeah, not a bad neighbor to have anyway. Uh, Absolutely. So why don't you just... Uh, talk me through just, you know, where, where your resource is as it stands, the numbers, uh, and just where, 
the depth of them. You talk about it being it's going to be an underground mine, switch from open pit to change the economics of it. And then just kind of what's, what's helping guide your exploration in terms of geophysical or geochemical features. Yeah, look, we're running, uh, we're running sort of a, uh, let's put it this way. These, there's, there are two conduits. These are magma conduits that are proterozoic in age and rift related. And that's very similar to what you see at Norilsk in Russia, rift-related, proterozoic, or at least rift-related magma conduit-style mineralization. Within those magma conduits, which are essentially high-pressure erosional features into the country, much older country rock, they kind of thermally eroded their way into form these large, long, you know, three-mile three or four-kilometer long uh, snake-like or serpent-like conduits Within them, they have, uh, you know, mineralization as kind of a last gasp of the, of the intrusion process uh, in progressively more ultramafic rocks, peridotites, within, within which, into which came the, uh, the copper, nickel, platinum, palladium uh, mineralization in, in what we call peridotite rocks. And so that's the start of it. And these two conduits are mineralized from stem to stern, from the top to the bottom. And but the bulk of the uh, drilling uh, at current, for example, has been done in the top half of the deposit because although they are subhorizontal in nature, they are slightly inclined. And at the top, where the highest grade mineralization is, you're about 70 meters below surface, easily accessible ramp access. At the bottom, you're about a kilometer below surface. Not as much drill density down there, but the system is open. And, and we believe that uh, although we have 10 years of well-defined feed today, uh, we believe that this is a project that will likely replace reserves as production uh, continues from uh, going progressively down plunge and perhaps uh, accessing the ore or at least drilling off the ore from expiration adits, which are much closer to mineralization than, uh, you know, from surface. So, but look, we have 22 million tons of mineralization of which about 12 million tons uh, is mineable as of today, based on the cutoff grade, and uh, and that that you know that effectively uh, on initial capital of 367 million Canadian, uh, we have fully discounted cash flows over that 10-year mine life of 425 million dollars with a 31% uh, internal rate of return on initial capital. Okay, so that uh, that 12 million tons. Uh, runs about eight grams, uh, sort of platinum equivalent in situ. In the first four years of production, it's actually over 10 grams. It's extremely high grade uh, and uh, relative to our peers. And uh, quite frankly, uh, quite a good margin there. Yeah, excellent. I mean, your your resource as it sits, and I'll let you clarify this for my audience, but it's it's about 2.3 million ounces platinum equi equivalent uh, of net mined, mineable resource, correct? It's not in situ, it's not just in the ground raw prior to recovery rates, but you have 2.3 million ounces platinum equivalent uh, of, of payable, payable. Yeah, so that, you know, that number is meaningful, right? And this is not, you, you, you step in there if you want, Abraham. Well, that's right. And so from the in-situ uh, resource that I mentioned, uh, you have ultimately, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Matthew, uh, 2.3 uh, million ounces of uh, platinum equivalent payable metal. So that's the, the metal ultimately net of uh, mining dilution and mining recovery, net of uh, metallurgical recoveries 
net of smelter uh, payables, uh, you net out your payable metal, which runs about uh, 1.3 million ounces combined platinum, palladium, and uh, and quite significant uh, copper and uh, nickel as well. Roughly, uh, you know, sort of 150, 150 million pounds of nickel and uh, and about 80 million pounds of, uh, sorry, 100, uh, 150 million pounds of copper and 80 million pounds of nickel. And um, indications that... Uh, Rhodium and cobalt may ultimately be part of the payables mix as well. In the first round of metallurgy, we were not successful in bringing them up to the minimum concentrate grades required. Uh, but now that we've hired DRA Global, the South African metallurgical engineering company, um, we, we are focused on adding uh, rhodium and cobalt to that mix, which would be straight to the bottom line. And you know, we, we're pretty excited about that whole optimization process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, rhodium is on my my list down below here. We'll get to that because, boy, that's, I think it's $14,000 an ounce right now or something close to that. So, boy, it would be an awful nice little bonus to unlock anything there, right? Uh, yes. I, mean, I, I just wanted to kind of circle back here. Um, you know, the like, like you say, that the payable ounces is such a critical distinction because I think when people look at 43101s, you know, that a lot of the time, that the 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 pounds in the ground you see they they don't account for NSRs right they don't account even some of them I see don't even account for recover for recovery factors uh, we I think I mentioned this closer to the beginning but I mean you have had clean air has gone 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 through fairly stringent I mean bulk sample testing you've done your met testing and so I mean the numbers that you provide are 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 hard scientific honest numbers right and i mean i i mean we can maybe circle around to these or come back to it quickly but i mean your recovery rates are are, are pretty respectable right 85 percent plus for platinum palladium um everything else the only the only one that kind of is a a weak sister if i can call it that is nickel at 52 but you know you you have a a, a real sci, you know science-based plan for production or for for recovery and you account for that in your economics. So I just appreciate that that's where you're coming from, from that perspective. Yeah, it, it kind of falls out of the analysis uh, that was done by the uh, the third party independent engineering group, Nordman, uh, for the PEA. Um, and, uh, and, and now we've hire, hired uh, another third party engineering group, DRA, uh, to do our metallurgical optimization as a starting point. The next, uh, the next announced, well, announced this morning in our uh, you know, in, on, in our most recent press release here on August the 2nd, uh, that we've also hired SLR, the, uh, the, the former Roscoe Postal people, same team. Uh, they got taken over by SLR and now they're SLR Toronto. And uh, they will be doing an, a validation of a mineral resource update. Uh, there are 50, approximately 55,000 meters of drilling not yet in the mine plan. Uh, from the escape deposit alone and, uh, and about six and a half, close to 7,000 meters of infill drilling at current, not yet in the mine plan. The significance of that is that it may very well push, uh, you know, that 10 year mine plan to sort of a 12th or 13 year mine plan and, uh, and push the tail back, you know, out past 10 years and uh, just, excuse me, improve the overall economics uh, of the project. Um, uh, you know, uh, through the uh, through the uh, the metallurgical optimization to improve payabilities and concentrate grades of all the commodities, but also um, uh, a model that is much tighter now with all the infill work that was done since 
the mineral, uh, the resource update of January of 2021, on which the mine plan, the present PA mine plan is based. It doesn't incorporate that extra drilling. Uh, the new, uh, the PFS will. And, uh, and we think uh, it just gets much more, we know it gets much more robust. And, uh, and, but all those results have been reported into the market, but not yet worked into the model. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and I think this circles back nicely. You know, you discussed that you're trading at 0.1 nav, which is just silly, right? I mean, peers 0.2, 0.3 nav is typical, right? I mean, and knowing, knowing on top of that, that you've got over 60,000 meters of drilling unaccounted for, you know, just not even existing yet that, you know, you start to, I start to see dollar signs, I guess, right? <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's where well, I'm at. Well, look, so. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, we take a, I take a sanguine sort of approach to this. I've been involved with a number of junior mining deals in a senior executive capacity over the last 20 years. And then, you know, in the bush, swinging a hammer as an exploration geologist for 15 years before that. Uh, but look, as I said, I've had a couple of M&As that, you know, they start slow. It's, you know, the story gets built, you know, and I, I've developed, I think, a bit of a personal reputation, but it's also just being careful going into a deal of being involved with quality assets. Uh, Thunder Bay North is the latest example of it. But, you know, um, Carlisle Goldfields with the Lynn Lake Gold Play, M&A with Alamos Gold, they're going to build it. They've got a positive feasibility study. It's a real play. It's a real asset. Uh, you know, uh Alamos will tell you they got it for a song, but here's the point. Uh, the day that we announced the deal with Alamos, uh, the 25, 25 cent Carlisle went to 64 cents for starters. Then uh, that was an all share deal with done with Alamos at 480 in 2016, and they went to 1350 that year. So 25 cent Carlisle actually went to $1.50 Carlisle on that basis. So you know, it was a, it was a great you know, and and again the value came out, and uh, and by George they're going to build it. Then there was uh, you know premier royalty where we accumulated you know uh, half a dozen cash flowing royalties in a year and a half when when royalties still were not well understood, and about twenty to thirty geological bets, and the whole thing got taken out by Sandstorm Gold within under two years. And uh, on the basis of the quality of the assets we had accumulated, and some of those assets today are their top performing cash flow producers at Sandstorm Gold. So look, uh, we've been doing something right, but it always starts slow. Uh, and then there's a re-rating based on some sort of unique event. And uh, we, we think that we're getting close to that with clean air metals now. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'll, I'll want to ask this, you know, this is a fairly boilerplate retail investor question is, you know, current, so, and this is a lead into a larger conversation, uh, but how many, how many meters drilling are you doing this year? What's your plan? Um, yeah, look, we, uh, because of cost overruns uh, due to diesel, price of diesel fuel, we, we've trimmed the sales a bit. Uh, we're at, we're drilling with one drill. Uh, we've had two drills operating continuously for two years. Uh, you know, effectively to get the, uh, you know, get the meterage in and, and uh, go to a pre-feasibility study. Uh, we have the luxury now to be able to cut back to one, 24-7, 365. Uh, we're spending uh, with drilling, uh, with, um, with engineering uh, studies and with environmental field work. Uh, we're spending about a million a month at the moment. And that's all in, including GNA as well, which is 
you know, salaries, legal fees and accounting fees and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Can you drill 12 months a year where you're at? Oh, yes. Yeah. In fact, the best time to drill is in the winter when the ground is frozen and you can go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess my ultimate question from that was, is so you can't just drill forever, right? I mean, that, that ultimately you have to kind of plant your flag and say, this is our resource. This is what we're going to take to PFS. So I guess maybe my ultimate question is, how much more drilling do you foresee happening uh, prior to PFS? And when might we expect uh, PFS to, to be released or to, to start to, to occur? Yeah, look, the PFS is in progress now. It's on target to be delivered, uh, you know, sort of uh, end of next May, uh, early June, sort of uh, late Q2, early Q3 next year, uh, with all the component parts being compiled and reported. Um, and then between then now and then, uh, you know, that's uh, what, what shall we say, 10 months away. Uh, we're drilling 5,000 meters a month. So that'll be you know, with infill drilling and expiration targets, another 50,000 meters of drilling, uh, I would expect. And, uh, you know, uh, but only a portion, like I would say half of that will be incorporated into the actual uh, pre-fees because there is a cutoff date on which mine planning must take place. Uh, but, you know, again, uh, if there's material changes, such as a new discovery or what have you, I mean, that would be incorporated then potentially into a, into a feasibility study. We do have some very, very exciting uh, exploration uh, sort of uh, targets outside the production area. Yeah, but like you say, just not not mature enough and, and not ready for the PFS. No, absolutely right. Uh, well, let's let's crunch some NPV numbers right now. Uh, you know, you your numbers are very compelling. They're obviously leveraged to price of palladium, price of platinum. And I want to kind of run through briefly in a moment here, kind of the bull and bear case for those two and why, you know, I think that some, well, I think sometimes people get caught up in narratives and the narratives take longer to realize or, or to kind of to, 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 to come into being, but, you know, that reality and, and narratives don't always match up. Right. So I think that there's that there's a conversation to be had there about that with palladium. Um, but you know, your, your numbers are, strong, very strong, uh, well, very strong, so long as palladium platinum stay up. Uh, but let's, so like I say, just sidestepping the discussion on, on bull bear cases for those two for the moment, what are your plans? How can you uh, in, improve the economics? I mean, do you have plans for, is there a potential for reduction of OPEX or CAPEX that you're looking at? Or, or what are, do you have any plans to, to help improve the economics of your, of your project <laughs> aside from just- yeah. well- well, let me comment on uh, metal prices. We've used a, we used the CRU two-year trailing average price deck to generate our economics. Um, we will, I, I believe, we we will be consistent as we move forward. It'll be the two-year trailing average price deck, and I think the price of palladium will have come off a notch from twenty-two hundred uh, the first time through, and probably with some of the volatility we've seen. It might be sort of in that 2000 to 2100 range. Uh, platinum has been fairly consistently uh, depressed in that sort of 850 to $1,000 range for several years uh, post diesel gate. But, you know, I will say when the first PEA was done on the project here in 2011, based on the open pit model, platinum was 1500. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, it, uh, it has uh, some runway here, we believe. And in fact, if you look at the uh, the forward curve based on for platinum based on the hydrogen revolution here and the expected demand 
or a supply shortage that's looming in the platinum market, uh, you know, sort of from here to uh, between here and 2030, um, you know, we could see similar price action in platinum as what we've seen in palladium. Uh, the, the palladium piece, um, look, um, all systems are go right now at Nor Nickel. What if Nor Nickel got shut down on the next round of sanctions? What if they can't resolve their differences, uh, you know, overseas there? And, and uh, you know, the uh, things really hit the fan, so to speak. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, certain voices uh, win the day and say, well, you know, let's shut down the mines there. We're not accepting any more palladium from, from this jurisdiction. Uh, you know, it's at that point, uh, you, you need to shut down the, but for the supply that's still in the system, which isn't much. Palladium's in a supply deficit. Um, you, you shut down the North American car industry. So at that point, we truly have cut off our nose to spite our faces. Mm -hmm. uh, what if that happens? Then domestic sources of supply, of course, uh, I mean, you mentioned rhodium at $14,000 an ounce. I mean, you know, it's, it's not, you know, in, in the average car right now, there's, there's $200, two to $300 worth of palladium. You know, there's, uh, you know, there's, well, uh, let's put it this way. Let me, uh, of, of platinum, I should say. Palladium, there's about usually about five grams and a gram goes for sort of 50 to 75 a gram. So you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of three to $400 per vehicle in a catalytic converter. That's not a deal breaker, okay? Um, you know, where, where does it become a deal breaker? At what point are people look actively, are companies actively looking for replacement? What's the obvious replacement? Well, uh, quite frankly, platinum was always the metal of choice in catalytic converters before uh, the chemistry, before palladium became the replacement and the chemistry was developed around palladium. So, look, anything can happen. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, we're very, uh, you know, we, we if, if you're talking about building battery metal plants in Windsor and Kingston, Ontario alone, no, not to mention the, the battery metal plants that are going into production in the United States. The question really becomes, where's the supply coming from? Uh, we need to remember, these are not theoretical changes to, uh, you know, the EV transition is not theoretical. It's structural. It's, it's actually regulated. It must occur by 2030. Uh, and furthermore, um, you know, if gasoline engines, um, you know, in order to stay in production and to produce a, a fossil fuel burning vehicle, the loadings of palladium and platinum and rhodium uh, will only increase. So there's a lot of pressure here um, on to the upside on the uh, on the battery metal suite. Um, and, uh, and copper nickel, of course, uh, need no further introduction in terms of, you know, conductivity and battery, battery applications. So, uh, you know, we feel pretty sanguine about it. We know there's volatility in the world. We believe the, uh, the two year, uh, sweet, uh, well, we believe that quite, quite frankly, we're, we're duty, duty bound to, uh, continue to use that two year suite to be consistent. Mm -hmm. So that we can compare apples to apples all the way through. Uh, and uh, look, uh, we think that uh, we were very, very conservative on uh, ultimately on copper and nickel pricing in the price deck relative to uh, current world pricing. Uh, copper's come off a bit. Uh, you know, everything's been under pressure, but 
these are structural requirements. They're not going away. They're regulations. And uh, that supply chain will drive value uh, or lack of supply in the supply chain will drive value uh, as we go forward here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just for the sake of my listeners, uh, post-tax NPV at current prices is about 293 million Canadian. That's what you have in your 43101, and that's you know, fairly consistent with what we see today's prices at. And then, yeah, you have your price for copper. What you've quoted it at is uh, 309 US, and I think it's last I saw 350, 350 360, somewhere in there. So yes, you're yeah, absolutely. And then of course, nickel, uh, your two-year trailing average, nickel's obviously gone through the roof here the last six months or 12 months, 686. And so, I mean, I'll just say this. I mean, you you have this polymetallic deposit and then I, you know, so long as the MET testing comes back positive, I love polymetallic deposits due to their optionality, but you've got almost $5 billion of, of metals in the ground, right? Uh, I'm just kind of scanning through here. You know, the things that, you know, you've got almost two and a half billion dollars worth of platinum palladium, but then, you know, $600 million of nickel, $500 million of copper, things that, and this is where I talk about optionality and, you know, this is me just theory crafting, so feel free to poo-poo it. But, you know, I, I look at, and you'll excuse me if I compare you to another, to another developer, but Generation Mining, uh, you know, they did, they, I thought they did such, such a good deal with Wheaton and sometimes streaming can be a bit of a, a bit of a poison, a, a poison pill to take sometimes. But, you know, they, they streamed off what was a minor metal to them and they got $250 million to help build their mine, right? So I, I, you know, I just, I, I think that there's a, so much flexibility. And I guess is my point that, you know, why I like these polymetallic deposits, so much flexibility in terms of how you work your economics and, and, and options for you, right? So. <clears throat> Look, uh, yeah. I mean, the Wheaton Precious Metal guys are uh, one of a number of streamers uh, in, the, uh, in the industry. I think uh, you know what Generation did there was uh, was recognize uh, what's become quite a conventional f- uh, form of financing uh, in the uh, in the business now. Uh, I, I will say, uh, for example, uh, I believe that streaming deal for two hundred and forty million with a forty million dollar down payment uh, was based on the platinum and the gold in the Generation uh, or in the Marathon PGM deposit controlled by Generation Mining. Um, and, uh, you know, we have both in our, in our deposit. In fact, uh, you know, on a great, on a, on a contained metal basis, we have more platinum, uh, at Thunder Bay North. So, you know, look, are we, do we have potential to do a streaming deal? Absolutely. We do. Is today the day to do it? No, it's not. Uh, you need to be that much closer to cash flow to avoid the penalty of the time value of money. Uh, you know, you do it when you're doing construction financing. You do it when you've got feasibility numbers and effectively you also do it with elements that are not going to uh, that are byproduct constituents in your deposit that are not going to affect your main cash flows. Um, but it is a very effective way of financing projects in this day and age. So why don't we just skip back here? We're, we'll, we'll try to wrap it up here in the next five or 10 minutes. But uh, I, I, you know, the bull and bear cases for some of your core metals uh I think that palladium, and this is where I talk about sometimes narrative outracing reality. You know, so, you know, if you were to talk to average investor on the street, they'd say, oh, palladium, oh, that's a that's a dying market. You know, catalytic converters, ice engines, you know, internal combustion engines, they're not, it's a, it's a way of the past, right? That, you know, the green revolution's upon us. But if you look at the compound annual growth rate for ice vehicles, that's still five to 7% to 2030, right? And so, you know, yes, the green revolution is upon us, but I think that we are, 
uh, it's extremely remiss to assume that these transitions just happen overnight. This is a matter of decades, right? That, that these things take place on. And so I, you know, I, I guess maybe this is less a question for you and just a comment for me maybe, but just that, that, that palladium, there will be strong, consistent demand and that's discounting geopolitical realities, right? But strong, consistent demand, uh, you know, for the next foreseeable future, right? Well, look, we're, uh, look, we, uh, I should point out that Thunder Bay North has equal parts platinum and palladium. It's a one-to-one ratio. Uh, and that's actually quite rare. Um, and, uh, you know, for example, at Lactazeal, it's, uh, it's one part platinum uh, to 10 parts palladium. Uh, and similarly at, uh, you know, at uh, Marathon PGM. You know, the, the ratio is not one-to-one. We have one-to-one. So we have good optionality here. I don't disagree, uh, you know, and, and the one thing that does concern me, I guess, with respect to ICE vehicles, internal combustion engines, is that some governments have actually mandated no more production of new vehicles after certain dates. Uh, and they get, they get stupid, like it's 2030, 2035, 2040. I mean, I, I believe Europe, the European Union has actually put some limits on that. So that may be ultimately, um, you know, a, uh, what shall we say, a choke point on demand. However, uh, if, if indeed you've done that, then you are assuming that other technologies will be brought to bear. Otherwise, you know, are, are we truly saying that we will no longer have an economy? No, we're not saying that at all. We're simply saying there'll be alternate technologies such as hydrogen fuel cells, such as battery electric. Battery electric is a fantastic technology, but hybrid electric, for particularly hydrogen hybrid electric, is another one that uses exclusively platinum in the, in the anode and cathode of a, a, the electrolyzer to form uh, green hydrogen from, uh, you know, sort of uh, renewable energy sources like wind and solar. Uh, you can use hydrogen as a battery, uh, effectively as for base load. Uh, in times when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow, you've got hydrogen in storage. Uh, or you can use that hydrogen in a fuel cell where oxygen and hydrogen are recombined to in a fuel cell in a vehicle to release an electron and water out the tailpipe. And that electron goes into a battery, which is a, you know, it's, it's still, so the battery technology is still every bit the same. Now, in a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle, uh, the batteries are smaller. There's not as much weight. And that becomes important in high uh, bulk tonnage app, uh, transportation applications like trains, planes, ships, uh, buses, etc. You know, uh, uh, where the, the research is, suggests that battery electric's not the way to go. You've got to have a fuel cell with a much smaller battery so that you can maximize your payload. And it's much more efficient. But for retail, you know, commuter traffic across town and back and forth and plugging in at night, uh, you know, battery electric uh, on its own is just fine. You know, but so there will be multi-partite solutions here. They shut down production of ICE vehicles by 2030, 2035. You got to know that that void has to be filled by some other metal. And the beauty of it is we have that platinum in a one-to-one ratio and we also have copper nickel. We also have rhodium and cobalt. And uh, as the price goes up, those become just that much more uh, valuable uh, to our product mix. So, you know, if the palladium is ultimately uh, a dying metal, as, uh, as some say, 
um, then of course, uh, you know, I, I suspect that uh, slack will be picked up by uh, others in the multi-commodity mix. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, like I say, I strongly suspect that any any runway to the decline of palladium demand is longer than we're anticipating as is. Uh, but I guess that's... Well, I think governments, governments can change their minds. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> Well, and I think what you say is, is actually puts it quite nicely because it dovetails in, you know, platinum palladium, you know, you have a metal that we need presently now desperately in palladium, but then also, like you say, 50-50 mix where you have platinum, which is a kind of a metal that we'll need into the future with hydrogen fuel cells, right? That that uh, I just was doing some some light research here and, and now, of course, this is a tiny sector of the market, but I think it shows you how potentially explosive hydrogen fuel cell uh, that that sector could be or that that industry could be uh, they're expecting the this is now vehicle sales so there's about 15,000 hydrogen fuel cell vehicles sold globally in 2021 and they're expecting that to 10x by 2030 right and so and they if and you can correct me here but my understanding is is that there's about 50 grams of platinum that goes into every vehicle every hydrogen vehicle and so you start you see like that's 250,000 ounces in 10 years of additional demand I mean, globally, like platinum and palladium is a tiny, tiny sector, right? There's not a lot of ounces that get produced every year. That's that's a substantial increase in demand, right? So, yeah, you have metal that we need now in palladium, and then you also have a metal that we will need into the future. So you kind of have like the whole market cornered a bit, right? Yeah, and in fact, uh, if you add in bulk transport into those numbers, the deficit, uh, you know, gets even higher. Simply because, um, you know, if you're now building fuel cells that can power mining trucks, buses, trains, planes, uh, and ships, uh, battery electric doesn't cut it. The, you know, your pay, standalone battery electric, uh, the weight of the battery uh, basically uh, eliminates your payload. Okay. You can't build batteries big enough. Uh, and so ultimately, you, you, you need something in the tank. You need a much smaller battery with a way of producing electricity in a carbon-free manner. Hydrogen seems to be that solution. And there are some very big names and research dollars that are getting into that game. And so you're, you're, you're saying two and a half, uh, what, 250,000 ounces? Mm-hmm. I mean, the numbers I've seen is like three million ounces, uh, you know, sort of, uh, of in deficit by 2030. So based on those bulk transport applications. So, yeah, I mean, uh, and, and I will say this, uh, all the big research now, I mean, it's proven technology. Uh, hydrogen fuel cell, you can, you can buy hydrogen at the, at the shell pump in Vancouver today. But we believe it'll scale up and, and uh, spread out across North America, Europe and, uh, and Asia, where it's already quite well developed. But the real research is in bulk transport and even Los Alamos laboratories in the U.S. of Oppenheimer fame. Um, that is one of their principal research projects is hydrogen fuel cells for bulk tonnage applications, mm-hmm. transportation solutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, lots of change. And, and uh, you know, Johnson Matthey. Uh, Johnson Matthey are the guys who predicted in 2016 that palladium would go to $2,000 an ounce. It was 500 at the time. There was one There was one or two groups that actually believed them, like Neil Froneman at Savanier Stillwater. He bought the Stillwater complex at that time. Everybody's going like, what? What just happened? And, of course, three years later, he's a hero because, indeed, Johnson Matthew was right. Johnson Matthew today is all in on PGEs, all in. Hmm. They've actually gotten out of the battery metals business, the copper nickel, 
They're all in on PGEs. And, and you got to ask yourself, on what basis, right? Well, some of what we've touched uh, to discuss today is part of that, that rationale. And just moving forward here, out of respect for your time, I mean, I, and just just so the listeners, I mean, they've probably figured it out by now. I've mentioned it prior, but all this time on palladium platinum. But I mean, yeah, there's you have well over a billion dollars uh, in nickel copper too, right? So there's just all sorts of and and recoverable, recoverable, you know, payable, yeah, payable dollars, right? Yeah. So, um, and then oh yeah, get- and and you mentioned nickel recoveries. Uh, interesting. Uh, one of the realities uh, in the nickel mining business is that. Nickel is, is uh, actually uh, found in two forms in, in the average deposit. One is in sulfide form, which is this, this, the form you want for battery electric applications. The other is in the silicate form, which is not recoverable. And that the silicate form of nickel can be up to 40% of your nickel. So when we say 52% nickel recovery of total nickel, we're actually saying 52% of uh, of the sulfide and the silicate nickel. But if if your su- sulfide nickel in our case is 60% and you're getting 52% mm-hmm. of, of 60%, you're actually getting 85% uh, nickel recoveries of your available nickel, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we were, you know, I mean, we're reasonably gratified with that first round approach. Uh, you know, if we think if we can improve that up to where copper is at 95% recovery, uh, that would be uh, that would be significant, but really, uh, if we can take our PGs into the ninety percent range from eighty five, keep in mind, uh, lactazeal is at eighty two percent. If we can get it into ninety percent range and bring in co- rhodium and cobalt into the mix, um, that's going to make a big difference for us. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, to that, the upside. Yeah, absolutely. That that rhodium, I mean. I, again, this is just napkin math, so I don't pretend to ha- know that it's you know accurate to the 99th percentile. But uh, I was looking up that uh, other companies use $15 because it's such tiny amounts. I think that you're you have 0.05 grams per ton uh, is what you're measuring in your deposit. Uh, that other places they measure it in dollars per ton. Rhodium is new to me, so this is just me learning as I go, right? But $15 a ton cutoff. I mean, if we uh, so for you in the ground. Uh, you know, if we assume that, you know, again, recoverability factor of 100%, which of course isn't realistic, but that's over 300 million American dollars in rhodium, if you can actually unlock that, right? So yeah, just, just. Well, it would be nice. Uh, yeah, that that's what we call a sweetener. It would be straight to the bottom line. Uh, you know, it, it would help. We have stopes uh, in the upper portion of the current deposit, which run one to two grams rhodium. This is, this is, there's some extraordinary high grade here. That's not the stuff that goes into the metallurgical testing because you want average run of mine grade. But we're actually breaking out years one to four, years five to eight, and then beyond into three separate metallurgical tests because, you know, you've got time after years one to four to really fine tune your process for the next phase, right? Mm-hmm. But if we can, uh, if we can make rhodium and cobalt payable in that four, first four years, uh, you know that that will help a lot. Mm-hmm. So I guess just we'll maybe we'll cycle back to, to kind of transition into the end here. Do you mind just it's a question I ask everybody, right? What's the what's the biggest risk or unanswered question uh, currently facing clean air? And then I guess what you know what facing you what's what's the biggest risk or unanswered question facing you that might prevent you from you know a successful outcome to this project? Um, well, I mean, um, you know, in, uh, at the board level, there's something called key man insurance. I mean, if, uh, 
you know, we uh, we were joking about it recently, and um, you know, but it's not it's not it's no laughing matter. I mean, companies do keep executives off the same aircraft, for example, for a reason. Uh, if you know, but uh, you know, uh, barring any uh, unforeseen uh, sort of uh, loss of uh, key members of the management team, look, there it, with any junior mining company, it's about financing risk, and it's about uh, commodity price risk. You know, uh, we believe that uh, with our First Nation partners on board here, governments are going to be the government, the regulators are going to be falling over themselves to issue permits on this one because they want the jobs. It's 600 construction jobs, 200 mining jobs in an active and ongoing basis. You've got the support with little opposition or no opposition. Those permits will be granted. Uh, But no, I mean, look, financing risk, commodity price risk. Those are the big ones. Fair enough. So do you have any words of advice for retail investors in the junior space? Uh, I guess even within the context of kind of difficult times, if you want to take it that route, but otherwise, just what does it take to succeed in this sector? Uh, Well, I mean, uh, look, I mean, you know, I read uh, Frank Juby once wrote a book, you know, about the uh, discovery of uranium in the Elliott Lake, uh, you know, sort of uranium fields. And he made a statement in there. He said, you know, for people in the business, geologists, who could actually uniquely appreciate the news that's coming out, if they're not doubling their or one and a half times their salary again, like 50% more than what they make in their salary, they're doing something wrong. Just by just by listening and deducing that, yeah, that's real and going. So ultimately, though, I think for the retail investor who's not necessarily versed in the geosciences and so forth, um, look, uh, yeah, I mean, do the research, but uh, you have to have a feel of what's real. And, um, you know, and, and I think that uh, to some extent that's instinctive. And uh, I mean, certainly with, with mid-tiers and senior mining companies, you can assess cash flows, you can read analyst reports. But uh, I would say uh, with juniors, it's, uh, you know, you've, you've got to have the feel for it. Uh, you've got to know, uh, you know, the management uh, better have a track record. And if there's independent research coverage, um, you know, that's also you know, then then at least you've got that third party validation as well. And I think, uh, you know, in the case of clean air metals, uh, you know, we're covered by Beacon Securities, Echelon Wealth Management, and uh, also uh, Paradigm Capital at between 80 cents and a dollar a share. So that's their three analysts weighing in. And then over in London, Hanneman Partners at 60 cents a share. Um, you know, we think, and that would re-rate us effectively to, uh, to uh, you know, sort of uh, 0.4, NAV, which is still uh, in the range of uh, where we think this project has the potential to re-rate to. Yeah, I think that's that's sage comments, right? Never stop learning. It can be a very steep learning curve. So just, you know, never, you kind of have to go, can I go back to school? If, if you're a layman such as myself, you really, really, really have to, to be consistent and dedicated to, to overcoming ignorance, right? Uh, parting thoughts, final words? Well, look. Thanks for the uh, through the opportunity, Matthew. I think uh, it's uh, it's a great chat. Uh, might be a little long for some folks, but uh, in any event, uh, all the best with your wife's birthday, and uh, <laughs> thank you, uh, thank you for the time.
Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Abraham. I appreciate you coming on. Um, thanks to our listeners, right? If you wanted more information on clean air metals, please go to cleanairmetals.ca, just as you would expect it to be spelled. And you can find me under the name junior resource investing on YouTube, Spotify, and elsewhere. Again, Abraham, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks Matthew for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Bye-bye.